0: Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. Oh! I'm just glad my pants didn't rip. Amen. Amen. Uh, tonight I want to talk to you about staying the course. And uh, I think this is probably... Uh, Most common when we think about ships and sailors, uh, the significance of stay the course. But I think it's very important in our walk with the Lord as what He led us as an example and what we see about how easy it can be to lose our course. Chapter 26, Jesus is telling them that He is going to die and it is coming very quickly. We see that there are a group of religious leaders who are plotting to kill Him. The very same religious leaders should know Him, should know the Scriptures, have lost their course. But then we also see a woman who anoints Jesus, and even though she would not be the first choice to be the religious example of the day, she was. And so tonight I really hope that you will think about your own walk with the Lord to know those areas where you can drift, those areas where you can lose focus. Zig Ziglar, a Christian motivational speaker and longtime Sunday school teacher at the First Baptist Church of Dallas, said this, quote, Lack of direction, not lack of time, is the problem. We all have 24-hour days. We always like to blame our problems, our shortcomings, our failures on the fact that we do not have the same opportunities as others. But as that quote says, we are all given 24 hours each day. What we do with those 24 hours is what matters. The direction, the course that we are pursuing makes all the difference. When you were growing up or even today, you have probably heard someone make this statement when push comes to shove. And it really is an idiom that describes the critical time when a decision must be made, when a commitment must be made, when an action must be taken to back up words. And in our walk with the Lord, most of us can stay the course when things are good. Most of us can stay on track when it doesn't cost much. But when push comes to shove, when your faith and my faith comes up against something that is important to us, do we waver? The same could be said about our integrity. The same could be said about the truth. The same that could be said about so many things that while the sea is calm, sailing is not a great challenge. But years ago when the sea was calm and the wind was calm, it was a great difficulty. And so tonight I pray that as we go through this text and we look at this, that you will make a decision to stay on course. If you find that you have drifted off course, that you will run back to where God wants you to be. In 1 Peter chapter 3, I want to read you the words of Peter. Starting in verse 13 it says, And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always, always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. With meekness and in fear, having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, I hope that you notice there it doesn't say if they defame you, it says when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Pray with me tonight. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the privilege of being with your people tonight. Lord, I pray that you would speak, that you would move, that you would work for your glory. Father, forgive me for my sin, my failures, my shortcomings. Lord, anything that would grieve what your spirit is trying to do in this place tonight. And I ask it for your glory and your glory alone. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I don't know if you heard that from the Apostle Peter in his writing there, but he talks about not being afraid of the enemy, what the enemy is going to say about us and what the enemy is going to do to us. Now, I, don't, I, don't, I know that you don't struggle with this like I do, but I am easily defeated by the opinions of other people. I can be easily defeated by the opposition of other people. I can be easily defeated by the anger of other people. But yet what it says here in this passage of Scripture is to give a defense always with meekness and in fear and reverence, not being afraid. And because of that, we should understand that if we always know what God's Word says and we are willing to say what God's Word says, there is not an if opposition will come. It is a matter of when. You say, Jake, I have never been opposed for my Christian faith in any time, in any place. I would say you have never shared your Christian faith very much. Today, someone might ask you, what does the Bible say about marriage? What do you think the Bible says about gender? What do you think the Bible says about homosexuality? What do you think the Bible says about going to heaven? What does the Bible say about a place called hell? And I am guessing that in most conversations today, if you answer those, even in love, but with the truth, you will face opposition. You will face someone opposing you. And what I have found out over the years is when people are unhappy, they are extremely kind. And when people are unhappy, they are extremely quiet about their frustration. And when people are unhappy, they are more than willing to turn the other cheek. All three of those statements are not true. And I hope that you could hear the sarcasm in my voice. And so we need to get back to a place where we are not looking for a fight. We are not looking for difficulty. But as the church of Jesus Christ, we should expect opposition to come. We should expect the enemy to attack. And what it says here in that passage of Scripture is For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. What that means is standing for the truth and doing the right thing does not always mean you will be opposed. There will be people that will celebrate the truth, there will be people who celebrate the gift of salvation, there will be people who will celebrate when you and I take a stand in a world that no longer takes a stand. But there will be other times when God allows opposition to come. And in those moments, that is when you and I have to make a decision to stay the course. If we're honest, all of us like it easier than difficult. We like comfortable seats. We like comfortable cars. We like comfortable homes. None of us, if we're honest, would choose the path of most resistance if we had to. If there is a choice between walking downhill and uphill, I am always choosing downhill. If there is a choice between floating downstream or rowing upriver, I am floating downstream. That's just the way it is. And that is fine when it comes to our leisure and our enjoyment, but at one, it comes to the things of God. There will be times when God will ask you to row upriver. There will be times when God tells you to go uphill. And in those moments, the true character and test of your faith will be put on display. And so when we come to Matthew chapter 26, if you're taking notes... Jesus knew the future and remained on course. Jesus knew the future and remained on course. Starting in verse 1 it says, Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished saying all these sayings that He said to His disciples, You know that after two days is the Passover and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Jesus not only told them when he would be delivered, but he told them exactly how he would die. And I don't know if you've ever studied much about crucifixion, but it is a horrific and awful way to die. It is a way that is almost unheard of, the suffering, the pain. It was a death reserved for the most wicked of criminals, traitors to the Roman Empire. And yet Jesus says, I'm going to the place where I'm going to die. I'm going to be there on the time when I'm going to be betrayed. And I'm going to die this way that they have set for me. And he went anyway. Friends, if I would have known they were going to arrest me, I'd have never went to Jerusalem. If I knew they were going to put me on a cross, I would have ran to the backside of the desert. You say, not me, I would have never ran. Ask Elijah how it is. He ran to the backside of the desert, and he called down fire from heaven. You say, well, Jake, I I wouldn't have ran. I would have stood boldly. Ask Jonah how that went. Even when God used him, he ran under a juniper tree and said, God, kill me. But yet Jesus knew the future. Jesus knew what would happen and remained the course. He stood fast in his belief that the Father had a purpose and a plan for him. That He had a purpose and a plan for us. That He knew that we needed to be redeemed. That we needed to be bought back with a price. You say, well, that's Jesus. None of us should expect to remain the course. Well, Listen to what Apostle Paul said in Acts chapter 20, verse 24. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul says, I am not going to quit. I am going to continue doing what God has called me to do because it's worth it. I'm willing to take the opposition. I'm willing to take the beatings and the stonings and the shipwrecks and the snake bites and the betrayals. Why? Because Jesus is Worth it. And friends, today we can't even be bothered that Jesus is worth it because something is going on on Sunday. We can't be bothered that Jesus is worth it because someone might be upset. We can't be bothered that Jesus is worth it because I have things I want to do. But Paul said, I'm going to run this race with joy. I don't know if you've read much about Paul's race, but it didn't look very joyful to me. It looked difficult and challenging, but yet he said with joy. Kind of gives new meaning to do all things without disputing and complaining. I've never been stoned, never been beaten for my faith, never been shipwrecked, never went through the thing Paul has went through, but I can tell you I have many days where joy is scarce. 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says once again, I have fought the good faith. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. You see, if Paul was able to follow Jesus in spite of everything, we are as well. You say, well, Jake, I'm no super Christian like Paul. The same Spirit of God that lived in Paul lives in you. The same wickedness and flesh that you battle, Paul battled. God doesn't give the Holy Spirit in measure to obey Him. He does give the measure of the Holy Spirit in order to serve Him. God might give you a certain gift, a certain ability to accomplish a certain task that He has for you, but the ability to follow Him, you have all that you will ever need. You were given that at salvation, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so when I say, well, if I can only be like Paul, or if I can only be like Peter, or if I can only... Friends, that's backwards. God has been so much better to us than He was to them from an earthly standpoint. I was not thrown from a tower. I was not beheaded. I have been so blessed to live in a country where religious persecution is minimal. The cost of following Christ is so little in America. Well, 10%. 10% of what? 10% of your money. While I do believe in tithing, if that's as bad as it gets, we've got it made. The early church lost everything when they believed. Why were there thousands of widows and orphans that had to be taken care of? Because they couldn't go home. Why were there thousands of people on the day of Pentecost? Because they knew they had trusted Jesus, they had believed in Jesus, they had followed Him, and going home was not an option. Firstborn children had lost their birthright, their inheritance, their, their, their followings of, of money and all the things that they had were to be given in Jewish law. They had lost it all. You say, well, Jake, I, being a Christian means I, I'm supposed to be here on Sundays worshiping God and serving God. And, and you know, that's just a really difficult thing for me and what's going on in my life. You do realize that these people were sneaking around, meeting in homes, knowing that at any moment the Roman government could bust down their door and arrest them, throw them in prison. If you remember when one of the apostles was deliz- delivered from prison and the young girl went to the door and quietly looked out and saw that it was him. Why was she skeptical? Because it could have been a trick. It could have been the Roman government letting him out of prison just so that he could have led them to them. and they could have died. You see, tonight my challenge to you is, even if you knew the future, would you stay faithful? Even if you knew that it was all going to be easy sailing or if it was going to be times of great tragedy, will you remain? Faithful. Second thing I want to show you from this passage of Scripture tonight as we try to stay the course is wickedness always operates in the shadows and is selfish. Wickedness always operates in the shadows and is selfish. Look here in verse 3. Then, after he has told them this, after he is progressing in his ministry, then the chief priest The scribes and the elders of the people assembled at the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas and plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. You say, well, that's not always true, Jake, because good works and kindness and mercy ministries are to be done in private. You are right. Loving people in private is definitely scriptural, and it's something that you should strive for. But what I can also tell you is wickedness is always done in secret. You and I have lived long enough to know that your enemies are not those who are in front of you, but those that are standing behind you with a knife. The person that opposes you loudly to your face usually is not destroying you, Quietly behind your back. What we see from this passage of Scripture is these men secretly met. They secretly plotted and they secretly planned, not wanting anything to blow back on them. That's why it says there in verse 5, but they said not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. They were terrified that opposition might come. They were terrified that if they went to arrest him, the people would revolt. And so they wanted their wickedness to be successful, but they did not want the threat of retribution. Listen to what the Bible says in Micah chapter 2, verse 1. Micah 2, verse 1 says, Woe to those who devise iniquity and work out evil on their beds. At morning light they practice it because it is the power of their hand. Now, some people would say, well, this verse is about sexual sin, but it's not. It is about the idea that while you're to be sleeping, while you're to be resting, while you're to be recovering, there are people in the dead of night in the secret times of your life that are scheming and plotting and deceiving you. And when morning comes, they will be ready to exercise their plan. And Friends, you and I should know that that is how Satan works. That's how Satan works in marriage. That's why it's called sneaking around. That's how Satan works in the lives of teenagers. It's called sneaking out. That's why it's called in the church that the wolves in sheep clothing have snuck in. You see, friends, you and I must realize something that if we are going to be on guard, if we are going to stay the course... We should not expect the enemy to attack from the front. He should attack from within. Satan doesn't come at the battleship with guns blazing. He sneaks in someone through the deckhand. John chapter 3 verse 20 describes it like this, For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. And tonight I want to encourage you, if we are going to be people of integrity, if we are going to be a church that is above reproach, things should be done in the open. Meetings should be held with witnesses. Disagreements should be held with accountability partners. Committees should give reports in the open. Finances should be presented to the public. I say all those things because I believe we are trying but there is always a temptation to stop. As a married couple, I believe this with all of my heart. I have preached it for years, and I have upset many. You should never be alone with someone who is not your spouse. Ask Joseph how it works out. We looked at a story this morning that was of the best intentions by the young lady, but someone took advantage of that kindness Tonight, I want you to know that as people of God, we must be on guard. You must always be willing to admit that Satan could attack you. I think sometimes we lie to ourselves that says, I've been a Christian so long, or I have withstood the temptation so long, or I have been above the battle so long that I am no longer at risk. All of the greatest falls in Scripture came at the moment of greatest success for the followers of God. And tonight, you and I should know that while we watch people sneak and while we watch people scheme and while we watch people selfishly get what they try to get, that it is never of God. Do not tie your boat to a sinking ship. Do not give heed to the wickedness that comes In the darkness. Do not give a foothold to the wickedness that comes in the whisper. But the third and final thing, and we're not going to look at all of this story about the anointing, we'll come back next Sunday night. Righteousness always operates in the open and is selfless. If you want to know the intentions of somebody, just ask what they will gain from it. And if it's all about them, it's probably going to be wicked. But if you can find a person who is operating in the open and has nothing to gain, you'll see something that honors God. Look here in verse 6 and through verses 9. And when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to Him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil. And she poured it out on His head as He sat at the table. But when his disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. I want you to see the difference in what she was doing and what the religious leaders were doing. She came to him in the open. He would have been sitting at a table surrounded by his disciples, surrounded by those who were listening, surrounded by the people that were knowing what's going on, and she publicly comes to him, openly and honestly, recognizing that what she has to offer him is valuable. Can you imagine if she would have said, Hey, Jesus, I need you to step into a secret room. I'd love to give you this alabaster flask of oil, but... If you don't care, would you heal me before I do? No, but she came openly and honestly, and she broke the alabaster flask, and she poured it on him and anointed him. It was a selfless act. We know that this would have been worth a great amount of money, but yet it didn't matter because she wanted to honor the Lord. Friends, what this church needs and what this pastor needs is to remember that it's about honoring Him with whatever I have, whatever I am given. You say, well, she did this so that everybody could see what was going on. I don't know if you recognize this or not, but Jesus and her were the only one happy about this. The spiritual men, the men who the early church would be built upon, the early church that would take the gospel to the world begin to say, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second, that's a lot of money. We could have used that to help people. We could have helped the poor. We we could have done so much with it. You hear the selfishness begins to come out. What we could do. What we could accomplish. Who we could help. You see, those are all not bad things. If you want to leave us $18 million when you die to help the poor, praise the Lord. But friends, that's not why we love you. That's not why we should love people. It doesn't matter if they ever give a penny to the offering or while they give more money to anybody. Why we do what we do is because it honors Jesus, it honors what he wants to do. Matthew, the sixth chapter, verse 33, says it like this But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Now, I have been accused in my life of being a Taiwan. There's no secret about it. But I can tell you if my wife would have took that flask and went to break it, I'd have said, whoa! Do you know how much that cost? Do you know how much that's worth? Do you know how many diapers we could buy with that? They'd have had to buy them and wash them, but I don't want no part of that, all right? Buy them and throw them away. You could have said anything. We we could have took vacation with that money. We could have built onto our house with that money. We could have bought a nicer camel with that money. But it didn't matter to her. She knew that she needed to do this for him and what he was going to go through. She didn't understand the future. She didn't know all the details of the death, burial, and resurrection. But for whatever reason, the Spirit of God led her to honor the Lord. Psalms 112 verse 6 says it like this. Surely he will never be shaken. The righteous will be in everlasting remembrance. I don't know if you know this or not, but if you're like me, you have probably had your faith shaken. Sometimes that faith is in God. Sometimes that faith is in people. Sometimes that faith can be in yourself that is shaken by sin and struggles. But it says there, surely he will be never shaken. The righteous will be an everlasting remembrance. You see, you and I can promise ourselves one thing, nothing. There is no promise I can make to myself that I can be guaranteed that I'm going to keep. I can remember years ago, I promised I would never smoke again as I threw multiple packs of cigarettes out the van or the truck window going home. One, I didn't want my parents to find them, but two, uh, I knew I would never smoke again. And I can tell you in front of Steve Bowling's house a many a time, pulling my vehicle off on Blooming Grove Road, walking that ditch thinking, boy, I need to find that $3.57 $3.57 pack of Camel Lights because I ain't got enough money to buy another one and I could not keep that promise. I cannot tell you how many times on the first day of the month I have promised that I am not going to eat like I ate last month. How many times I have promised God I'm not going to waste time this week like I've wasted it before. God, I'm not going to let the things bother me today that bothered me yesterday. Lord, I will keep that promise. What I can tell you is, I have failed. You say, well, Jake, you promised to be a husband. You promised to be faithful through sickness and health. Fail. And all of those things. I don't do enough weddings to know all the vows anymore, but they're good. But all of us have failed. All of us have not been the husbands or wives that God wanted us to be. All of us have now been the parents that God wanted us to be. You say, well, Jake, this has turned a very negative turn. no. If we will run to Him, if we will commit to follow Him no matter the cost, if we will commit to follow Him no matter what comes, if we will commit to be on course, the results are God's to produce. The marriage that I want is not something that I can do on my own. It's something that He has to do. The church that I would love to be a part of is not something that I can control. I cannot control the other 600 people that go here. But what I can commit to do is be who God wants me to be. I cannot control all that my children are going to do, the mistakes they're going to make, the struggles they're going to face, but what I can commit to do is to be the the father that they need me to be. And so when we see this passage of Scripture tonight, we see that God wants us to love Him, and to serve Him, and to be selfless. And my question tonight, is that how you serve Him? Do you serve Him wholeheartedly when it costs nothing? Or are you willing to say, I know this is what God wants for me, even though it's not convenient. I know this is what God wants for me, even though it's not necessarily what I was looking for. Someone stopped me this week and said, I love to hear the story about how you were called into ministry. I said, you, just like it. you like to hear that story because everything I said I wouldn't do, I now do. She said, you're exactly right. And the other lady said, well, what was that story? And before I could even tell it, this lady began to tell my story for me. With great joy, I might add, She said, Jake promised he'd never go to church, but then he promised his mom he'd go with her on Christmas, and then he went. But then he told God he'd go to church, but that was as far as it was going to get, and then he gave his life to the Lord. Then after he gave his life to the Lord, he'd be fine going to church and doing what he wanted at home and living his own life. Then God began to deal with him and called him to follow. And as this story is unfolding, this lady just gets happier and happier and happier. And I just got more red-faced and more red-faced. Went on to say, and then after he said, I'll commit my life to you, as long as I don't have to do anything in front of people, I'll be fine. And then it was, I'll do anything in front of people as long as it's not adults. So I started teaching high school, Sunday school. Then it was, I'll teach, but I don't want to preach. So then I preached a few sermons. Then it was, I don't want to preach, but I will as long as I don't have to pastor. Because everyone likes to preach. No one likes to deal with the people. So then after I knew that I was called a pastor, I said, Lord, I'll pastor anywhere you want me to go except for Hamilton County. Here I stand 11 years later. And as that woman told that story, I realized something. At the end of it, she was not happy because she likes to tease me, which she does. She was happy that I was her pastor, and it brought me great joy. But friends, tonight I ask you, are you willing to go where God tells you to go even if you don't want to? Are you willing to go to that person that has hurt you and forgive them even if it doesn't fit into your timeline? Are you willing to take a stand in a difficult situation for the cause of Christ knowing that it might damage a relationship are you willing to be who god wants you to be and to stay the course as the storm approaches i love to study history i like to read i like to watch movies about history let's just be clear i don't like to study or read i just want to watch good movies about history that are almost accurate And I love to watch history about naval battles and how they would strategize and how they would plan and how they would get everything ready. But you cannot begin to imagine the amount of times that one Navy won all because someone sailed into a storm. And the storm would destroy half of the ships or three quarters of the ships and they would come out the other side to face their enemy with very little of the military might they had before. What I can promise you this is you will sail into storms, but you will sail into the storm with the one who can calm it. You will step into the fires of difficulty and challenges with the one who can allow you to be in the fire and not be burned. I can promise you that your boat will be in storms that you think that you are going to sink, But you enter into those storms with the one who can walk on the water. Tonight, my challenge to you is to be who God has called you to be and trust Him with the results. And if you and I will do that, I believe the course that God has set for us is great. Tonight, you might be saying, well, Jake, what does that mean for me? I've never put my faith and trust in Jesus. Tonight, God wants you to be saved. I believe the Bible unapologetically teaches that he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So tonight, if you're here and you're lost, I want you to know that God's purpose and plan for you is to save you from your sins, to bring you into the family of God, and to work in your life. You say, well, Jake, I know I'm saved, but man, I've just really been struggling with some things. I've been struggling with some difficulties tonight. I want you to know that even though the storm has come, Trust Him. You say, well, Jake, right now I'm just so blessed I ain't got nothing to ask for. God's been so good to me. I, I've just got everything. Then thank Him. Thank Him and ask Him to make sure that you don't begun to love the blessings more than the blesser. That your life is not filled with an Elijah moment, a Jonah moment, but with staying the course to honor Him. Father, I thank You so much for Your Word. Lord, it said what it said, and tonight I pray that you would use it for your glory. Lord, I pray that you would speak into this place tonight to the darkest of hearts, Lord, to the person that's lost, that won't admit it, to the person that's lost and knows it. Father, I pray tonight for this congregation that you'd continue to help us stay on track, to help us to continue to follow you. Lord, no matter the challenges or the complacency or the difficulties that are to come, Father, I pray for the marriages represented here tonight, Lord, that while they might have been good for years, Lord, that you would help us to continue on the course. Lord, that we would be who you want me to be as we sail into the harbor. Lord, help us not to shipwreck with land in sight. So, Father, whatever the need is, whatever the struggle is, whatever the concern is tonight, I pray that you would work, that you would speak, that you would move, All for your glory. And Lord, I'm going to give you all the credit and the praise. In the precious name of Jesus. Amen.